Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. Well, I'm really happy to be here this morning with you. For all the normal reasons, I love being your pastor. I love what God's doing here among us. I love where he's taking us. I love all the things going on this year. But I also love the fact that this morning during first service, I didn't have to be in the downpour rain with my kid playing soccer. That was my wife's duty because I got to be here. Uh, We're going to continue our series called The Christian Disconnect in which we've been examining ways that we live our faith or believe our faith, but our life doesn't actually kind of represent, and there's just this disconnect in our lives today. My wife gave me uh, an article many months ago, and I lost it, so I can't tell you where I got it from, but it was very simple. It was an article written by a man who had been a dedicated Christian most of his life, and he had actually abandoned his long, ardently held faith to become an atheist. And he wrote in this article some really profound, I think, important points that, I, that were really, really true, insightful. And, and let me just paraphrase. He basically said, you know, when I became an atheist, I began to question and actually became more firm in my atheism because he said, if all my Christian family and friends believe in salvation and hell, then why do they not try harder to talk me into faith and try to convert me? And he came to this conclusion. He said, if, if they don't do that, it must be then because they don't really believe it. Because they don't, if hell isn't real, then, then I guess all that hell is in his mind, his conclusion for them as believers of, 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 in Jesus, all hell is, is, is their deluded way of making themselves feel better about guilt and it doesn't really need to be there. So why should I be a follower of Christ? It's better for me to be an atheist. That was his conclusion. Right? And it makes sense, doesn't it? We could summarize our disconnect this morning in one simple phrase. When we believe in God, but we don't share our faith. Right? When we believe in God, but don't share our faith. And sharing faith is challenging, isn't it? It's really intimidating to all of us at one time or another, or maybe all the time. It brings up all sorts of unpleasant feelings of anxiety or worry or concern in us. We believe God saves us. We believe he's real. We believe he's made our lives so much better. He's empowered us. He's given us meaning, and he's given us purpose in life. And yet, we don't share that good news with other people. It's a struggle for all of us. It's a struggle for me as your pastor as well at times. Eleven years living in Oregon, we had these neighbors named Don and Sumi. Uh, They were wonderful neighbors except for their demon-possessed schnauzers. They were, they were, uh, they were demon-possessed. They were just awful. But we saw them and talked regularly to him. We, we cared for him. And Don was always polite, but he was also very clear and politely dismissive of any faith or any faith conversation. And I never in the 11 years there openly shared my faith with Don. I mean, we had an, I had a number of faith conversations with other people during that time period who were not followers of Jesus, some of them who were very anti-Christian. And I had good 
open, honest faith conversations with them, but I kept waiting for the door to open with Don and Sumi, and, and we even visited them when they were in the hospital, and we offered to pray for them and all that kind of stuff, but the door never opened, or should I say, I never asked for the door to open. I'll be honest, I wimped out. I wimped out in the whole thing. What is it that keeps us from sharing the best news that we believe in all of life with others around us? I think one of the things that makes sharing faith hard for us is is the old confrontational formula approaches that we, if you've been around church a long time, you probably have experienced. And if you weren't, you probably had somebody do this to you. I mean, who likes starting out a conversation with, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? Heaven or hell? I mean, that's just a really friendly way to start a conversation, isn't it? I mean, that's just a really easy, friendly, comfortable topic. Now, don't get me wrong. Certainly, that approach has been effective in bringing some of you probably even to faith. And maybe many others, when you've shared that with him, that has genuinely worked. And I'm not trying to ding that totally in the way I'm saying it. But today, that's an even more awkward statement. Because in America today, three out of four Americans believe in heaven but less than half of Americans believe in hell. So if you start out a conversation that way, the majority of people you're talking to have no relatability to what you just started to talk about, and they actually would dismiss it as being a completely ridiculous way to approach them in even talking about faith. Now, kind of an aside, don't you ever find it curious? Why is it that we like to believe in a good God who, with good benefits like heaven, And we like to make loud calls for justice, but we refuse to believe in any form of eternal punishment like hell. I mean, why is that? Because without just, if there's, if, if, if you don't have justice and, and, or if you want justice and there's no consequences for the failure to live up to whatever that standard is, then, then you don't have justice at all. And, and if we believe that God is good, then we also must believe that He's just. Now, as Jeremy talked about a couple weeks ago so poignantly, He may not be fair because of the extravagant grace and forgiveness and patience he gives with us gives towards us he may not be fair because of his extravagant love but he is certainly just and if justice exists then both reward and penalty must exist otherwise it's not true and god's not good so confrontational evangelism though i mean we've also been raised with this whole idea what better way to start a conflict than to talk with somebody about what Politics and religion, right? We've been ingrained with that, that we can't talk about that stuff without conflict. And besides, we don't feel confident enough in the knowledge we have to talk intelligently with people a lot of times about the difficult questions of faith and Jesus and theology and life and evil and all those things. And so we're going to just leave it to the preachers and leave it to the good theologians. It's, it's their jobs. But sometimes we also don't share our faith because we don't like the word evangelist. Right? There's been way too much baggage surrounding televangelists and the news, and we don't like that term. There's actually a book called The Day America Told the Truth, and they asked a whole host of questions about what Americans think. And, and in that book, the, the, the discovery was that evangelists were trusted less than lawyers and politicians. The only two professions trusted lower uh, lower on that list than, than evangelists were drug dealers and organized crime. Even prostitutes were more trusted 
than evangelists. Now, if that's true, why do we want to be that? Right? Why would we ever want to do that? I mean, evangelists are the polar opposite of tolerance, right? At least that's the way our culture talks about it. There are just all sorts of cultural, social, and emotional barriers to us sharing our faith in what we believe is the best thing that's ever happened to us, right? And even even beyond that, further, if we do believe that what the Bible teaches about hell is real and what Jesus says about hell is real, that it is a real place of unspeakable suffering and punishment, then the intensity of the serious of that, the seriousness of that hits us like a load of bricks, doesn't it? And we end up having to face life thinking, logically, that means there's nothing more important in all of life than for us to winsomely tell as many people about Jesus and win as many people to follow Jesus as possible because otherwise our lives are a complete waste and we are anything but loving, right? I mean, that's the conclusion of even the atheist. It makes sense, right? And so we, we, we take that further and we begin to think, well, how can I continue to be a banker? How can I continue to be a salesman? How can I continue to be a, a business executive? And I just should probably sell everything and do everything I could to win as many people because no other response in life seems appropriate to that weighty feeling of the reality of hell, does it? And then when we fail to share our story, I mean, and we're carrying that burden... What are we going to do with that? I mean, we're just going to simply be in this position where the only way we can live life not sharing our faith regularly and deal with that burden is to avoid that truth and just put it off and not even think about it. How can we learn to believe in God and winsomely share our faith regularly with people? I think there's a lot of different things that we can talk about, but, but, but one of them is simply this. It's about, we get that to that place when we realize it's about fully believing the news we have is good. I mean, even the word evangelist, evangelism, comes from a word that says to announce good news, to speak good news. If we really believe it's good, then what stops us from inviting people into that goodness, right? That doesn't make sense, and we understand that, but we need to wrestle with it. Do we really believe this is good? Sharing our faith is also about learning to trust and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's not about winning an argument. It's not about convincing someone to follow Jesus. It's learning to interact with someone where the Holy Spirit is already working in their life, trusting that the Holy Spirit is at work in all we do to lead them to make a decision to follow Jesus. You see, convincing a person about faith in Jesus is God's role. It's not your role. Your role is not to convince. That's God's role. So relax and learn to see where God's at work in, in a person's life with his spirit. I mean, God's spirit is at work in all of our lives on a regular basis, and he's also at work in unbelievers, people who are trying to hold him off at a distance, doing all sorts of things that we would think are despicable, and yet God is still involved in their life all the time. The problem is they just don't recognize it as God, and so they don't label it as God or fully recognize his presence. Part of our role is to help people name that experience as being God in their life. And that's a vital part of us, sharing our faith with other people. For example, even if somebody's making a decision to f- do something that's sinful in their life, it's often 
triggered by an element of the Holy Spirit in their life leading them to do something. It's just a misplaced application of that. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, all our vices are virtues gone wrong. Did you get that? All of our vices are virtues gone wrong. We all long for something, right? We all long for intimacy. We long for success. We long for security. And God is going to be speaking to us regularly and giving us inklings of how to get there and what we should get there, creating good desires, even creating goals for us to focus on to get to those ends. But just because God is speaking and leading doesn't mean our choices that we make to follow that are what he would prefer or best or healthiest oftentimes. We may hear God's purpose, we may even discern a goal God has, but we still choose to pursue it in a way that is damaging. It's less effective or selfish or convenient, all different ways of saying sinful if we're not following God's way of doing it. This happened in my life. It's happened many times when I've done this. In 2006, God began leading leading me about moving from my current job to what would eventually become Quest a couple of years later. Uh, The problem is, in 2006, how I responded to that was anything but his plan. I responded to it full of doing all sorts of things, wasting my time and getting anxious and and trying to force things to happen and trying to pursue and spending, just wasting time, rushing things instead of doing things the way God wanted me to do them. And it was sin. It was sin that was already forgiven, and he loved me through it, and he accepted me through it the whole way. But life could have been so much more peaceful and joyful and better for me if I had done it and trusted him doing it his way. One of the harder parts of learning to hear God's voice and follow him is discerning that distinction. Because we hear God and we filter it through our own lens and because we filter it through our own lens we hear him but then we corrupt our path to get to there and he's gracious, he's kind all along that way. right? He doesn't want us to feel condemned at all along that way. But As we listen to friends, we can oftentimes affirm what God is speaking in their intent and help them grow in recognizing God's presence and leading them and begin to name God's work in their life and recognize it as him, right? Learning to share faith is also about focus. It's, you know, when when Mother Teresa was once asked the question, how do you deal with the massive need, the, the squalor and the dying and just the massive need around you? She responded saying this. She says, I don't see the crowds. I see individuals. And she's basically putting into words how Jesus acted in life. I mean, Jesus focused on 3 and 12. When we read the Gospels, he spent most of his time focusing on just 3 and 12. And he also had this uncanny ability in the midst of the crowds to break from all the pressure of the crowds, which was sometimes really intense, to just focus on one person at a time. There's so many examples of this in the Gospels. There's there's one that, that I love where you see this ruler of the community, this leader of the community, rushing to Jesus. He's been teaching. The crowds are massive all around him and it's getting towards the end of the day and he's tired and this this leader comes to him and he says hurry 
My daughter is dying. She's about to die any second. Would you please come to my house and heal her? And the crowds are so thick. The picture of the text is you see them trying to push their way through the crowds. They're jostling. Everybody's demanding stuff of him. And along the way, this woman reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. And Jesus senses the Holy Spirit active in that moment. And he stops. Can you imagine stopping while this guy is saying, my daughter may not live for another five minutes. Can you please hurry? And all the crowd's demanding, and he focuses and he zeroes in on this one woman who everybody else would have not looked at. She lived a life totally unseen by most of the crowds. And he zeroes in, and he heals her, and he saves her. And Jesus The ability to focus on one at a time led that day to two miracles and two salvations, not just one. Our ability to focus on an individual and what God is leading, how God is leading them in that moment is really powerful. The ability to power, to multiply one at a time is amazing. I mean, just, just look at Mother Teresa's impact. And, Part, that's part of the reason why we talk around here about our mission statement being living life as friends with faith. It's that power of focus. Just pick friends, make friends, live your faith openly with them. That's the reason we talk regularly as well about focusing on your five, right? Many of you have been around here for a while I heard that. Our five are the five people in our life who are not followers of Jesus or disconnected from church who we have regular contact with which means we can reach out to them, we can build friendship with them in the normal course of our busy life because, frankly, none of us have time to add much to our life, do we? So who are the five in our life that we can, in the normal course of our day, reach out to them and have open conversations about faith, to care for them, love them? I mean, open conversations. After all, if faith is a big part of your life, What's the friendship like if you can't share that piece of your life? It's pretty shallow, isn't it? I mean, so we want to cultivate friendships where we know them and respect where they're at. They respect where we're at, but we can be open and honest with our faith discussions. In the last six years being here, my five, uh, they change a little bit each year, so it's probably 10, 15 people who have been on my list of five at different times. And part of the reason they change is because maybe they used to be on my son's soccer team and parents, but now they aren't anymore, and I don't have regular contact with them, and it's unreasonable for me and my schedule to continue relationship in those areas. But I try to focus on the people on a regular basis, and four of them have either engaged faith or started engaging seeking here at Quest. And the power of focused prayer, the power of focused friendship and expecting God to show up in those moments and the simplicity of those moments instead of doing big diffused efforts is amazing. So focus each one of us on our five. Who are they? Pray for them. Expect God to become good news through you to them. Sharing our faith is also about being the church. Now, we talked a bunch about that last week. We, we talked about the picture of Jesus and Paul and, and the beautiful picture of the church they paint. And, and, and we talked about how that picture is that we as a group together represent him, not individually, but we as a group represented him. And, and, and we, when we live as a group who cares for each other, winsomely in spite of our differences 
if we forgive each other so readily and, and regularly and, and create that kind of relationship, if we serve one another so beautifully, if we become these generous people that towards one another and towards our community that God is wanting, then people on the fringes of the church, of our relationships, our five, will want to be a part of that just simply because they love being those types of people who care and love that way. But we so often miss one of the easiest ways to express ourselves as a church, and that's simply through the gift of hospitality. If we just invited one of our five over, maybe once a month or twice a month, and maybe every now and then included one of our friends who are also at Quest for that dinner, it's been said that we could eat our way to seeing all of Columbus saved. I mean, seriously, isn't that true? I mean, because of the friendships built... Now, man, this is especially true for you. Many of you don't have any friends who you can be really honest and open about your life. You just have the shooting the bull type of friends who you get to go out and have fun with and play around of golf and talk about sports and, you know, talk about politics. But you have very few friends. Most men have very few friends that they can talk openly and honestly with about their life and who they really are, their strengths, their failures, everything all together. And eating with one another on a regular basis, spending time with one another, goes a long ways toward building those kinds of relationships. Being the church, we are the church. This place is not the church. You and I are the church. And if we would just invite your five to summer backyard barbecues, invite them to, you know, when you go out after a kid's game, invite them to go out with you to ice cream all together. And, or, or maybe you take extra lunch food to work and you share your lunch with a colleague that day. Elise does this actually all the time at school. She takes an extra cookie, most of, a lot of the lunches just for the purposes of sharing it with somebody to build relationship. It's amazing the power of simple hospitality in building relationships. Men, you can invite people to the men's hangouts. The patio nights are a fantastic way to invite your friends and family just to come and rub shoulders and just have a good time, just to build genuine friendship. Uh, Besides, the inflatables are going to be fun, and I'm going to probably be on them as well. So, you know, I know they say they're for kids, but but I'm I'm going to do some of them this summer. You can invite them to ride with you in the ride to recovery. You could invite them to, to walk or run with you in the warm 5K or another 5K sometime. Or, or, or you could invite them to join us the next time we go to, to warm to do a food sort in their warehouse so that they can keep their uh, food pantry well stocked. Or, 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 you know, that neighbor who always comes over and loans you tools or helps you with a project? Well, maybe invite them to what's going to be coming up really soon through Quest Care, where we're going to be building a ramp for one of our unchurched friends who just recently got confined to a wheelchair and needs a ramp build his house. And invite him to bring his tools and come with you. Or that, that neighbor who loves to garden, invite him to come be part of the Quest Garden. I mean, invite him to your home, and but, but also invite him to some of these fun, easy, attractive attractive outreaches and and fun events around here because just inviting them to be part of a church function will sometimes open the conversation to say, so what's this church all about and what's your faith all about? It's just ways of building genuine relationship that we're trying to offer to help us do that better as a church. 
Sharing our faith is also about learning many different ways to share your story, God's story. See, we make talking about God so technical and difficult from the get-go for us, but it really starts with the simplicity of telling your story and how God's been real to you. And most of the time, that's not long. It's like several minutes. Most of the time, it's several seconds. And that's all that story is. I mean, when I, when I share my story, a lot of times I get to share it in the context of somebody coming up to me and talking about how they had a really bad, guilt-inducing religious upbringing. And that often happens to me. I don't know if it's because I'm a pastor, but, but when people who don't know me find out I'm a pastor, I almost always get that reaction because they equate me with this good, kind, religious guy of their past who wants to tell them about all their sin and condemn them and make sure they know they're wrong. And so I get those guilt reactions really easy uh, as a pastor. And, and, and I, I used to be really uncomfortable, and now it's just an opportunity for me to tell part of my story. Because when they're done with that brave moment of telling me about their hurt and their pain from the past, I get to simply share the part of my story that oftentimes goes something like this. I, I'll just say, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry that you experienced that pain and rejection. And I can relate to that, but I can only relate to it from the standpoint that I was that person who used to condemn you. I was the person who was so driven to be better than others that all too often I condemned people like you. And I'm so sorry you experienced that. I am so glad that Jesus saved me and continues to help me, even when I fail or fall back into that, to forgive me and help me restore things. That condemnation is not what Jesus wants you to feel. And that's the end of my story. I usually don't say anything more. And that's the end of it. Uh, you know, our story isn't for the purpose of convincing someone to make a decision or close a deal. Our story is for the purpose of relating to the person, of pointing to God's goodness as a possible hope for their situation. Just to be real and tell part of your story that helps the other person identify with who you are and with God as who he really, really is is so powerful. I mean, even if your stories don't have a lot of commonality and background, even if, even if they were a drug addict and you never were, even if they were someone who came from a broken family and, and, and while you came from a good dysfunctional Parents' intact family. Did everybody, everybody realize every single, buddy's fam, every single person's family is dysfunctional? Because we all mess up. So we don't have a lot of difference. But, but even if we come from different cultural backgrounds that are so polar opposite, we still have so many identification points in our stories. We've all struggled with guilt and condemnation. And we struggle to not take that back on on a regular basis, even though we know we're forgiven. We, we all struggle with knowing, we're, with feeling not good enough. We all struggle with trying to find peace and contentment. We all try to, we all struggle with the idea of how do we find meaning that's compelling enough to orient my entire life around this for, for what I do. And we all struggle with sin that we can't seem to completely overcome. Every one of us can relate to those things. We can all have a story that connects somewhere. And allow me, to say explicitly what I just kind of said, a part, a part of a truth that I just kind of said implicitly. You see, so much of telling our story and helping people find Jesus is allowing our story and our comments to dispel religious misconceptions. Did you hear that? It's not so much about convincing them. 
as it is about removing barriers between who they, who they are and who they think you are and who God is. I mean, no matter how many times you've heard that God loves you, you still struggle with feeling condemnation, right? The people uh, who have experiences with God in our culture are taught to think those are just psychological, emotional sensations or things going on, and they dismiss them, right? So we can tell some of our story and say, no, that really was God and help them begin to remove that barrier. Or some people believe in God, but they believe he's so big and distant, and your story can actually remove that barrier because now they can all of a sudden say, maybe he wants to be personal. Maybe he really is personal and not distant to me, right? See, part of sharing God's story is also us asking them questions about their own faith journey. So we get a chance to hear their faith journey first before we even share ours. It's just so simple, this whole thing of story, and we make it so hard. We don't have to be a theological juggernaut to share your story about Jesus and the good news. You just have to be willing to listen carefully and ask curious questions and share little pieces of multiple facets of your story and how God's been real to you in clear and just simple ways that are inviting so that they can identify with who you are and maybe they can begin to remove barriers to see God differently. And the fact of the matter is, if you're praying for your five, if you're praying for others and following the leading of this Holy Spirit, you can expect opportunities to share your story, to come your way on a regular basis. Like this opportunity. I I got an email from a gentleman from the congregation who gave me permission to share this anonymously about where he's at in this whole thing. And and let me just read it to you. He says, I belong to an organization of recovery that keeps religion out of their program. I've been asked to speak in the past in front of a thousand, a thousand people around the country. We give leads or tell our stories as a source of courage and, st- and strength and hope. He says, my last lead was just after my first wife died in front of a thousand people. It wasn't long after that that I found Christ, and my life changed dramatically. I long for a closer relationship with him. I want to hear his voice so badly. He said, I was recently contacted and asked to speak in front of a large crowd in September. It's the first time I've been asked to speak since coming to Christ. I didn't know if I should accept or not. See, I'm not supposed to speak of religion in these things. This organization, even though this organization actually helped lead me to Christ, I was an atheist and then, and then I was an agnostic and, and then I was a deist and, and finally a believer in Jesus. And this is the part of who I am now. So he says, my wife told me not to accept until I had been given an answer from God. Uh, That's a big call, right? He He would answer my, she said, he would answer my prayers if I asked, and I had to ask and wait for an answer. He says, I prayed for a whole week. No answer, no voice. The day I had to respond by, I still had nothing. The next morning, he says, I awoke. The only thing in my head was Psalm 26.2. And he says, I told my wife, I've not read the Psalms. I just read a little bit of the Bible, and we looked it up, and it read this. It said, put me on trial, Lord, and cross-examine me. Test my motives and my heart. And in that moment, he sensed the Spirit saying to him, I want you to share. I want you to do it. And he says, I'll be speaking my lead, and we'll be including my coming to find the Lord in September. It's simple. I love this story because it reflects a following 
the lead of the Holy Spirit. It reflects prayer and God speaking. In fact, our next series coming up in a couple of weeks is going to be called Conversation, and we're going to be talking about how do we understand this thing of communication with God, and how do we do it in a way that we grow more and more confident that we're hearing Him and following Him well. It's going to be our next series called Conversation. But here's a simple way right now that I want to encourage you to tell your story, to apply telling your story. Start by telling your story to Christian friends and family. See, most of us don't tell our story much, even to other believers. I think if we looked at it, right? So start by, uh, has your spouse ever heard your full story of how you came to faith? Or some of the big faith journey transitions that happened in your life before you met her or him? You know, even if you have, just spend time reminding each other of that journey and the different aspects of both of you deciding to follow and the key change points. Do your children know your story? Have they ever heard your story of how you came to faith or the major points in your life where your faith took a giant leap forward? Spend time telling them in, in little snippets over, over breakfast, a 30-second story. You know, we're not, we're not into long diatribes. Does your small group know your story? Do they know where you came from and, and, and how God started to become real to you and the major things that tipped you to a decision to follow Christ or to be all in with Him? Or maybe you're one of the, one of the people who you just kind of always been raised in church. You just kind of always been believing. And, and so if that's you, then just what are the major points at which your faith in Jesus became more real? You see, do people know who you were then and know who you are now as a result? Because here's the question. How will we ever tell non-believers our story if we don't even tell it to believers around us, our friends, our family, our small group? If they don't even know our story, how will we ever tell our story to people who don't believe in Jesus? To help you in that, we have a handout in the lobby. It's called 30 Minutes to a Shareable Testimony. It's out by the main doors. And I want to encourage you to take it. It's been adapted just very slightly. It's mostly intact from InterVarsity Press. And it's, and it's just a series of questions. You could answer probably a dozen different ways to come up with a dozen different versions of how God's been real to you and be able to share that. So I want to encourage you to follow through with that this week. But it can't stop there. There's a really great article that I read in the Christian Apologetic Alliance that points out a really important truth for the era in which we live today. And he says, you can tell your story to someone else, and yes, it can have and often does have a significant measure of power. There's a reality in that. But especially in our world today, your your story has limited power because it's so easy for the other person to simply say, well, that's a really nice story. I like your story, but... I'm not a follower of Jesus and my story is different and it's equally good, right? We hear that all the time. So then the question becomes, on what basis should I believe your story and your experience more than mine, right? Certainly we believe and trust that the Holy Spirit is at work in, in, in their life and as we begin to validate where the Holy Spirit's working, they're going to have that real sense and certainly we believe that when we share our story, the Holy Spirit is also going to be making that real to them, that that's really who He is and there's going to be reality in that, but we can't stop there. Learning to share our faith requires that we all, each of us, own growing in knowledge and wisdom. 
so that we can begin to caringly and clearly talk about the difficult questions of life, the questions of faith, the questions of Jesus, the questions of right and wrong and justice. And it goes beyond, it has to be able to go beyond what we would simply prefer. Most of us have answers for a lot of those areas of, of, of life, but they really, truth be told, are just what we would prefer to believe. And we don't really understand whether they're solidly based in a biblical worldview or on the Bible or anything outside of just our own preferences. See, we need to be able to clearly talk about the differences between good feelings and clear, theologically sound representation of who God really is and Jesus really is in our life. I mean, what is the gospel? And how is that different than religion? Why can we trust the reliability of the Bible as a guide for our lives? Why are the things that the Bible describes as sin damaging to us? And why are the things that the Bible says are a better way of getting to where we want to be really, truly better? Can we talk about those things really honestly and, and sincerely knowing we've got a foundation out just, just outside of our own feelings in that? You see, too much of our faith today in the world, especially among younger people or people who have been raised outside the church in America, who have been almost solely influenced by the postmodern influence, it's all about emotion and how life makes us feel. In her essay, Come Let Us Reason, an author, Tony Allen, is writing to women and she says this. She says, women tend to depend on their experience and emotional connection with God as the primary justification for the beliefs they hold. And I would submit to you that that is equally true of men today. We primarily rely on our emotional side and however we define compassion to justify our beliefs. It's the reason politics changed in the mid-90s or in the early 90s with Bill Clinton. There was a significant change in how people campaigned. It was a whole lot more emotional and it's stayed that way since and it works. People get elected by that. Our world has changed. Emotions and experience now play the dominant role in what we decide is good and right. But why are your feelings right? And why are another person's feelings wrong? We've got to be able to answer that. Now, again, certainly, we, we trust God to be in, involved in our experiences because we all know that you don't know somebody by reading about them or hearing about them. You know somebody by experiencing them. So experience is a really vital part of a good faith, but it can't just be that. Because if I'm talking to a Buddhist who claims that they have experienced nirvana, and my only response to them is defending, the, describing my experience of countering Jesus, then what differentiates my experience from his experience? I mean, do I have any evidence that what I encountered is the one true God and his is just a, some sort of meditative high, right? So we have to know what the Bible teaches. We have to know winsome ways to talk about the difficult questions of life. So we got to learn the Bible. And one of the easiest ways you can do that now is to read even or listen on YouTube to different authors like uh, like Lee Strobel or Ravi Zacharias is my favorite. He's great. He's fantastic in dealing with difficult questions. And he's in demand all over the world now in, in, in universities. And, and we need to read things like Center Church by Tim Keller, which is just does a magnificent job of describing the difference between real faith and relationship and religion. And the difference between those two, we need to become self-feeding people who grow strong and learn to relate well and intelligently with both experience and with logic to our culture today. 
And most of all, we have to trust what Jesus says. Jesus says in Matthew 5, he says, you, every one of us in this room who's a follower of him, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, he says. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. See, God has strategically placed each and every one of you in a set of relationships at work, in family, in your neighborhood, with your kids' sports teams, with your nephews' and nieces' sports teams, where he has you there to be a light for him. And John O'Rourke has a great comment for us on that. He says, remember, mission, sharing our faith with others, sharing Jesus with others, doesn't mean doing different things. It just means doing the things you're doing in a different way being intentional. And, and I want you to hear a beautiful story. Come on, Vanita. I want you to hear a beautiful story today. Oh, you're over there. You were over there last service. I'm pointing the wrong way. She's coming. I want you to hear her story because it's, it's a really beautiful story of, of her journey of learning how God wants to work through her right where she's at in all the relationships she's in. Would you welcome Vanita Rogers? Good morning, Quest. Um, I'm going to tell you a story about my office. doesn't sound too exciting. and, and uh, I've been working there for about 16 years in the same office. And when I started attending Quest about five years ago, and I began growing as a Christian during the last three or four years, I started to wonder if I shouldn't be looking for a different job, one where God could use me, right? Not just an office. I thought maybe a food bank, or maybe like some of the women in my small group working with the disabled, or in a prison. I felt like my current job, where I was working in a small office with only seven or eight people, didn't give me much of an opportunity to do God's work. Nobody else there even attended church. About the time I was thinking this way, a woman I worked with named Tammy came to me because she knew that I attended church. She needed a counselor for someone in her family, a recommendation. And she was wondering if my pastor might have a recommendation, so I wrote to Ross and I helped her out. A few months later, I'm going to say a few months later a few times, I didn't know these things were happening, so I don't have an exact timeline over these years. But looking back, I now see the steps that were being taken. So a few months later, or sometime later, Tammy's mother was having surgery, and I went to the hospital to visit Tammy during the surgery. And at one point, I was talking to her and her family, and Tammy asked me if I would pray out loud for them to pray for her mom and her family. Me, I thought. I mean, I can pray in my small group with other Christians, right? I feel real comfortable praying out loud with other people who are praying out loud. But in a hospital waiting room with her extended family that I just met, but I did it. And Lord knows what I said, literally, because I just relied on the Lord to uh, take me through it. But when I said amen and lifted my head, and other people lifted their head, I was surprised to see that several of them had been moved to tears, and they thanked me so much for doing that. Sometime after that, the office that I worked in was reorganized, and I was going to have to share an office with my niece. Now, although my niece was one of my five, like Ross talked about, those five people who are unchurched that you're praying for, I wasn't really happy about sharing an office. 
Uh, sure, the new office was bigger and it had a door, but I had this nice second floor office off on its own. It's kind of like a, a cubicle, but you know, I could get my work done. I didn't have people interrupting me down on the first floor a lot, but nevertheless, plan was in place and I moved into the office. And of course, my friendship with my niece began to grow. One day when my niece wasn't there, Tammy came into my office, my new office, to ask if I would pray for a friend of hers. I said, yeah, I'll add your friend to my prayer list. But I felt something inside me say, pray with her now. I refused. This was an office. You don't pray at work. But as Tammy kept talking about her friend, even getting tears in her eyes as she spoke, I kept feeling like I was supposed to pray right now. I finally thought, fine, Holy Spirit, I'll let Tammy decide. She's going to say no. (laughs) So I said to Tammy, do you want to pray with me now? And Tammy said yes. She closed the door to my office. I had a door now. (laughs) And we prayed together. I prayed in my office. It was the first time that I did that. A couple months after I moved into the shared office with my niece, she was invited by someone else to a church near her in her neighborhood. She had come here with me like on Christmas or to see my daughter sing on stage. You know, I'd gotten her to come to church, but she lives about 40 minutes away from here. So she now had a neighborhood church that she started going to regularly. And Tammy started going to my niece's church too. Suddenly, when I would go to lunch with Tammy and my niece, they would ask me questions about the sermon they heard that Sunday, and I was surprised how much I was able to inform them about things. I thought I was an okay Christian, right, who didn't know much. Like, the smart people were the people who got up here on stage and and taught. But God started showing me through these two women how much I've grown, and it brought me even closer to him. I can't even tell you how many times they mentioned something for which I had a personal testimony, a story where God had brought the meaning of his word into my life. About this time, my boss hired someone to work in our office's warehouse. He was a former youth pastor. And now, instead of just rock music playing in our warehouse, because they always had the radio on out there while they worked, he would switch it to worship music. And Tammy, my niece, and I would kind of hum along or sing along when we would hear things recognizable. A few weeks ago, I was in a Bible study, and it came into my mind that maybe I was supposed to mention studying the Bible at work to these individuals. Well, I said, you know, what do you think about a Bible study? Enthusiastic response. But it prompted Tammy to ask me to teach her about the Bible. She didn't know how to use it or to read it. She had heard me talk about reading my Bible. And so one day during lunch, she and my niece brought in their Bibles to work. My niece even bought a new one. And we walked through some basic ways to read and learn from the Bible. We even got the guy from the warehouse to come in and talk to us about it with my new big office with the door closed, right? (laughs) During lunch. Tammy and my niece, last month, attended women's retreat with me. We stayed up in our room and talked, and my niece said something like, I just want to share with everyone how wonderful it is to go to church, but I can tell they, they don't want me to go on and on like that. So I responded with what I'd heard here at church, right? You just have to be an example and make sure they know you're there if they need someone to talk to or to ask questions about God. 
Both Pammy and my niece said, that's what you were to us, Benita. My niece said, it was like, huh, she seems to be happy a lot. And she's doing this financial peace thing, doing, you know, getting her finances in order. And she's got this small group. She talks about these women that she has these close relationships with. She said it made her want to do the things that I was doing. It made her want to see what this church thing was all about. Tammy agreed that my example had been one of the main things that interested her about growing closer to God. It was something wonderful to hear. However, it wasn't really me. I know that it was God. If it had been up to me, I would have stayed in my separate space on the second floor, in my office without the door. If it was up to me, I would have even gotten another job somewhere and left these people behind. I didn't think there was God's work to be done in my office. But now I realize God has been doing wonderful things in my office, and a lot of them had nothing to do with me, right? Somebody else invited my niece to church. Uh, Tammy's daughter actually started going to church before she did. There were all these things working. I didn't hire the guy in the warehouse. Yet I was able to participate in the work that God was already doing and kind of play my role and let God work through me. So I'm just doing what he tells me now. (laughs) What my experience at Quest has taught me, what he's developed in me, and through it, it's really brought me closer to him. That night at the women's retreat, after these two women told me that my example had made them interested in in God, I laid in my bed and I thanked God for allowing me to be part of the work he was doing in these two women's lives and in the life of my office. Now, out of the seven people who work in my office, four of us are singing the praises to God, literally, (laughs) during the day. The whole culture at my office has changed and I can't wait to see what God does next there and how I can be part of his work. Thanks. Thank you, Benita. Isn't that beautiful? It's a profound, just simple story illustrating the message. It's the power of focus. The relationships you're already in, God wants to work through you and to be light and good news. He wants you to seize this opportunity to risk praying for people. He wants, to, wants you to share your story in just little snippet ways along the way that help remove barriers, that help people begin to see God is different than they think he is. He's more loving, more patient, more kind, more generous than we could ever imagine. By simply being intentional, curious, and open. You see, the end result of this is it's really about being a true, honest friend. I mean, now the people that are friends with Benita know who she is. She's not hiding a major portion of who she is. And there's just an open, honest relationship there. Too often the disconnect for us is we believe passionately in God. We believe He's forgiven us. We believe He has good plans for us. We believe He's so generous and patient with us when we still fail and when we still make bad choices. And He's not going to forget us. He's going to accept us. He's going to walk with us even through all of our imperfections. We believe all that, and it's amazing good news to Him. I want to invite us to make that news available to other people. If you want to see more miracles... If you want to see God being more powerful in your life, then join him at the heart of his very mission to save all the people that he's put you in contact with, to bring his love and his goodness there. Don't worry about convincing them. Let him convince them. Just be real with your story and be honest and open with your friendship. So let me just ask you a question. I want you to pause right now just for a second before the worship team starts uh, singing and just ask, Holy Spirit, 
where are you speaking to me? What do you want me to take away from this message today? I'm just going to give you a couple minutes with a dusty plan to just think about that. Lord, we declare our love for you. We declare our belief in you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us all to live connected to the full power and full presence of your of your of your of yourself being with us of the good that that is Lord would you help us eliminate this disconnect in our lives where we believe in you but we don't share our faith and and help us to be spreaders of that good that good news that blessing and Lord would you show up in the miracles as we focus one at a time on people? Would you show up in the answered prayers? And Lord, would you, through each one of us, bring many people, one at a time, to know how much you love them? We worship you, Lord. We bless you. Just continue to worship as the worship team leads us. Lord, we're just so grateful that you're writing a new song every day in our lives that you bring goodness to us. And Lord, we're so grateful to be a part of your mission to share that goodness with others. We're so grateful even now for the opportunity to give to help that mission among all of us who our quest take place as who we are even more. So Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be a part of that. In Jesus' name, amen. When we were praying before service, I felt like God was pointing out that there may be some of you here who when we talk about being able to share your story of God, your response to that is, I'm not sure what that would be. I, I don't know what that story is. And I want to invite you out of wherever you're at in that to a God who wants to write a story in your life, a God who wants to become very real to you. And there's a couple of ways you can begin that journey of letting God become real to you today. You could have people pray for you here, let some friends pray for you, or come down on the front and after service and sit down on the front and somebody will come by and pray with you. You could do that by going to the baptism class that's happening right now and just beginning your inquiry into what is this whole faith thing about. Not that you're committing to be baptized necessarily. You may not be ready for that decision, and that's fine. But at least committing to this is what relationship is about. Let's explore what this is. And that would be a great way. You can just go right out after service, right over to the hospitality room, and there will be people there to lead you in that class and other people considering baptism as well with you. So those are two ways you could respond today. And I want you to encourage, encourage you to do that. If you came here today as well with any other prayer need, let's continue to expect God to be real among us. So I want you to turn to a friend and ask for prayer. If it's, if it's healing, if it's about a job, if it's about some other situation in your life, turn to a friend and ask him for prayer. Or if, or if you don't know anybody that you'd turn to like that, uh, again, just come down down after service is done here and sit on the front row and somebody would be happy to pray for you. But let's go this week and let's be lights. God gave us a light. He doesn't want us to put it under a bushel. He doesn't want us to, to hide it. He wants us to share it. And he's going to provide lots of ways if we'll just focus, if we'll pray, if we'll just look for where the Holy Spirit is working. He's going to provide lots of ways for us to do that and experience him in really fun, meaningful, exciting ways. God bless. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest's podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. 
For more information about Quest, who we are, and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at gotoquest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. 